because, you know, that's one of the great things about church, isn't it? That, you know, we're a family, and uh, we celebrate the highs together, and we walk together in the lows of life, and uh, I think that's one of the unique things that uh, makes our church strong and makes our church unified, and I thank God for that, and so, um, you know, thank you for your prayers in that regard. We're in this series entitled, Who's Your One?, and and man, I know, like, it's the middle of summer, and I can just feel it, like, in the room today. Like, most of the kids here today are probably aggravated because they had to start school this week, right? Uh, the parents are to some degree rejoicing, right? And, uh, you know, some of them are trying to get in those last-minute vacations, and we're trying to enjoy what little bit of warm weather that we have. But thank God for pumpkin spice lattes, amen? Uh, they're around the corner, and I've already seen, how many of you seen Christmas decorations already? And uh, they're out, uh, and so uh, I trust that most of you have already started decorating your house. All right, so Luke chapter 5, verse 17. You know, this, this passage kind of reminds me. It kind of reminds me of how we often approach our responsibility to the mission of God. You know, to some degree, you read through this passage, and Pastor Mike read through that with us this morning. And you've got four guys, and they've got a buddy, and that guy's paralyzed, and they're doing everything they can to get their friend to Jesus, right? And then you got a room full of people who are just sitting there indifferent to the plight of this man that genuinely needs to get an audience with the one who can make a difference in, their, in his life. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful, that I think sometimes, I think we are the Pharisees. We come into church every week and we're, to some degree, indifferent to the plight of those that we work with or, the, or to those that are in our kids' ball leagues or to, um, you know, other family members or people that we just randomly meet. And what happens is, and I, I think there's two things that kind of stick out to me in this text, is we listen to the teachings of, of Jesus, but we remain unmoved. And I think that to some degree, something's wrong with our soul and something's wrong with our heart if we can come to church week in and week out, and remain unmoved by the teachings of the Word of God, by the words and the sayings of Jesus Christ. Because when you look at the end of the passage in verse 26, the Bible says, an amazement sees them all. Now, friends, listen to me. When was the last time that you got up in the presence of Jesus, whether it was a personal time in His Word, or as we were worshiping together corporately, or as we were sitting together hearing the word of God preached, and as this text says, amazement just sees, like your heart was gripped by the greatness and the grace of God. Just gripped by it. And then it goes on to say, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And I want to be very quick to remind our church of what God is doing in our church, because a few weeks ago, we saw a young woman walk the aisle uh, in, a, in our church. That's kind of old school. And the church said, amen, we're down with that. Puts her faith in Christ. And in just a few weeks, I think we have four or five adults that are going to enter the, the, the waters of baptism. And all of God's people said, we ought to be caught up with amazement that God still does those types of things in his church. But I'm afraid often we're kind of like the Pharisees and we listen to the teachings of Jesus, but we remain unmoved. Or we listen to the teachings of Jesus, but listen, we don't recognize his authority. And so in our text today, 
there's this debate among the religious elite and, and against the uh, you know against the the authority of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, "I have authority." When Jesus claimed authority, what he was claiming was the fact that he has the rule and reign over all things, including our lives. And what he was claiming and what he was stating was, uh, is that that he has the power to heal, he has the power to forgive, he has the power to redeem, renew, and restore, and to transform the lives of those who follow him. Now, for many of us, we're cool with Jesus as long as he doesn't infringe upon what we want for our own life. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to be further along in life and you're going to have a more blessed life the moment that you recognize that you surrender it all to Jesus and you follow him. Pastor Roy Worley was at our Beast Feast last night and we're usually most concerned about what we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to be. And all God is concerned about is who we're supposed to be. We're most concerned about where we go and where are we going to live and how am I going to work and how am I going to make a living and all these things. Christ is most concerned with the person that you and I are becoming, and are we reflecting him and imitating him to a world that's far from God? And so what we find in verse number 17, the Bible says, and Mike read this, on those days as he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers, the law, they were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Do you realize this morning, and this ought to, we ought to get, Listen, let's get caught up a little bit in this today. Do you realize Jesus has the ability, the power, and the authority to transform? I mean, it doesn't matter what your situation is this morning. Jesus can transform your entire situation. That doesn't mean he doesn't remove the consequences. It doesn't mean that he doesn't remove the hurt or the pain. But I'm going to tell you something. We serve a risen Savior today that has the power to do all things by the word of his mouth. He can do whatever he wants to do. He has the power to transform. And friends, listen, and I want you to jot this down. We should live in light of that reality. We should live in light of the reality that Jesus can transform. And as we live in that, in the light of that reality, that Jesus has all power, he's omnipotent, He has all authority. He rules and he reigns and nothing, nothing catches him off guard. We should live in that reality to such a degree that we believe him for the impossible. We believe him for the things that no one else believes him for because we know that he has all power and he has all authority. Now, as we look at this man's life, four buddies bring in their other buddy who's paralyzed to Jesus. Let me ask you this. Oftentimes, we could catch ourselves in the Pharisee's seat. And I want to ask you, have you ever been tempted to look at someone's situation and begin to judge their story? Do you do that? Like, for instance, if you go down in the city sometimes and you see homeless people and they're out holding signs, what's your first thought? Mine is, I'm like, they're probably living in a condo and they're just doing this for a little extra side hustle. Like, I'm just helping them out, you know, to live in this really nice place in the city. Like, you know, they probably have a trust fund and they just don't want to work, you know. Or, right, they just can't get a job. Or or, or we have all these different things, all right. Or here, how about this situation? How many of you know someone that got a divorce and you say, yeah, I saw that coming, right? And, And on and on we can go with different situations and the plight of different folks. And we have this this temptation 
perspective judge their story. So instead of extending compassion, we offer criticism or we offer critique. And listen, this is what we do. We elevate our situation. And listen, like the Pharisees, we elevate our righteousness above theirs and put ourselves in a position of superiority rather than a place of ministry. Now, what people need is not someone to judge them, but to bring them to Jesus. They don't need someone to add to their pain. They need someone that's going to bring them to the one who could heal and restore and renew. These men were willing to do whatever it took to make sure their friend got to the one who could just do that. Now, let me ask a couple questions today. Is it possible that we've become so comfortable with the gospel that we've lost passion for the lost? Can I ask you that today? I mean, is it possible that we've become so comfortable with the gospel that we've lost our passion for the lost? I mean, have you gotten over the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ physically came to this earth, and he was born of a virgin, and he lived a life, a perfect life, for 30 plus years, and he died on the cross, a cross similar to that, and they took nails, and they drove him in his hands and in his feet, they pierced his side, they placed the crown of thorns on his head, and he paid a debt that I could not pay, and he did that for me, and he did that for you. To bridge the gap between me and God because of the sin in my life. He took my sin and he took my place and he became my savior. And not only that, but when he died, he went to the grave and he laid there for three days. No pulse, he was gone. Three days later, he came back from the dead. And today, we serve a risen savior. And I just want to ask you, have you become so comfortable so inoculated to the gospel that it just doesn't move you the way that it did when you first came to Christ. Because friends, I'm going to tell you, if that's where you're at, we need to do some soul searching today. But let me ask you another question. Is it possible that we've lost our willingness to do whatever it takes to bring the lost to Christ? Is it possible that we have, we've lost our willingness to do whatever it takes to bring the lost to Christ? And so have we, have we lost our way to such a degree that we have lost our ability or our faith in believing that God can and will and does do the impossible? Now, this passage, when you read it, it ought to give you some hope this morning. That it doesn't matter what your situation is or what your plight is in life, God can restore. God can save. God can renew. And listen, I imagine for some of you in this room today, there's someone that God's put on your heart. And you're like, man, I'd really love to see this person come to know Christ as their Savior. And the temptation is to have this thought, but they'll never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They'll never believe. They'll never accept Christ as their Savior. They're too far gone. And friends, I'm here to tell you today the exact opposite. That As we step out in faith, and as we boldly declare the message of the gospel, God is still in, if you will, the business of bringing people unto himself and renewing their life and restoring them and making them whole before God. And so the big idea of the message today is this, a heart full of faith will risk so that others can know forgiveness. A heart full of faith will risk, it will step out in faith, so that others can know 
forgiveness. Now, I can imagine the Pharisees in this situation. They're all crowded in the room. They're all sitting around the feet of Jesus. They come in. They're probably knocking on the door. Hey, can we get our friend in? Can we get a seat in? No one moves. They just sit there because they feel like they deserve to be in the room. And this guy that's paralyzed, he doesn't deserve to be there. And so these four guys climb up on the roof. Now, again, that would be nuts, right? If, I saw, if we saw someone out here trying to climb the roof of the church to get in because we were so packed out, Bob Dukevich would have a taser gun. He'd be tasing them because of the security issues, right? They'd be freak, we'd be freaking out over that. Or we would, we'd stand back and criticize them like, what are, these, what are these yahoos doing? I mean, why are they climbing? And we would start to criticize them. And we'd start to kind of poke fun at them. But you know what? These four guys, they didn't care. They just understood that their friend needed to get an audience with Jesus. They just understood that their friend needed to find hope and healing and forgiveness. And Jesus was the only one that could do that. And so this entire passage is teaching us and demonstrating to the audience that the authority and the power of Jesus to heal and forgive and renew lies with Jesus himself. And so the question this morning is, do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus has the power to heal? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to restore and to save? And the reality is, we can make excuses. Mike brought that up last week. Gave us several excuses and and rationalizations that we tend to make when it comes to telling other people about Jesus Christ. We can rationalize our indifference and our lack of personal involvement, but disciples of Jesus, listen to me, Man, please note this today. Disciples of Jesus, they'll step forward in faith. They'll find a way to bring their friend to Christ. They'll they'll get on their knees and they'll start praying and they'll look for opportunities and they'll be intentional about bringing those that are far from God to Jesus Christ. One of the quotes that we've been talking in our home recently is this. I love it when my kids do this. Hey, can you clean the kitchen? This is what they'll say. I didn't make that mess. Can I get a witness, parents? Come on. How many of you heard that one? Right? Can you pick up the basement? I haven't been in the basement in a week. (laughs) Really? Like, I just want to get a gospel holy witness on one of my kids and just give them one of those, you know? I didn't ask if you made the mess. I didn't ask if you've been in the basement. I just want you to clean it, right? And so one of the quotes that we we use around our house recently is this. There are going to be a lot of things in this world that you're going to find that are not your fault, but they are your responsibility. You guys with me? And a lot of the people that you come in contact with, you're going to find that their lives are pretty broken and they're pretty messed up. And it's not your fault that that person, hey, listen, these guys, it wasn't their fault that that their buddy was paralyzed, but they realized, hey, it's our responsibility to make sure that he finds his way to Jesus. Because if we do that, it changes everything. It'll change everything if we can just get him to Jesus. So like the Pharisees, we can look judgmentally at people's lives and believe they deserve to be in the plight that they are in, or we can believe that God loves them and that we're called to bring them to Jesus no matter what it takes. And what happens is, these men in verse 18, the first thing that we want you to notice this morning is this. These men recognize that they had a mission. They just had a mission. In verse 18, the Bible says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. That was their mission. They knew 
they had to get this man in front of Jesus Christ. Now, this house that they were in was likely a large ranch-style house. And no one in the crowd offered to make a way for these men to get closer. It's not like Jim Sparks was there. And I know he does this every Sunday morning because we got donut holes over here. And he's like, could you scoot in a little bit, right? Because everybody wants the edge seat and the back seats, right? And if you want the back seats going forward, we're going to charge more for those, right? Now, listen, no one made room. No ushers there to say, hey, could you squeeze in a little bit? No, man, nobody was moving. And so these guys climbed on the top of this roof. So with a crowded house and facing a missed opportunity to help their friend, uh, they decide to climb on the roof to get access to Jesus. They were unable to get in the door, so they climb up on this roof. And what we find in this text is this mission. They're, They're driven by their mission. Imagine the craziness of these men. They're climbing on the roof of a house, they start peeling back. If someone started doing that here, like we'd lose our mind. It, it just it seems absurd that they would do that. But it was so vital to this man's life, they were willing to do whatever it takes. That's what mission is. Mission drives us. And a lot of times, we don't understand why people do the things they do in bringing others to Christ. And I remember reading several years ago, a lady who was a critic came up to D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was... Uh, a Sunday school teacher. He never pastored Moody Church, but he was kind of an evangelist that went around through Chicago and he went to England and he preached the gospel and over a million people came to know Christ because of the preaching and teaching of D.L. Moody. He's a Chicago guy, right? One old lady came up to him one time, cantankerous, and said, you know, Dr. Moody, I don't really care for how you tell people about Jesus. And he goes, well, ma'am, I don't care for the way that you don't tell people about Jesus. And the reality is, is we can be very critical of how other people do it, but if we're not doing it ourselves, we probably need to mind our own business. These men were willing to do whatever it took. Mission drives us. It, it drives us as individuals. It defines the basic. It defines what's essential. It motivates us to live with purpose. And so living to bring others to Jesus is a mission worth our focus And it's worth our faith. It's worth that. If you were here last Sunday night, you recognize these young people that stood up on this platform and and they gave a word of testimony of how God began working in their life at camp this summer. I'm going to tell you something. As a pastor and as a follower of Jesus Christ and as a member of this church, I thank God for that. And furthermore, I would say that's worth living for and investing my life in. And so as a pastor, I want us to consider How can we get more involved in that? Because that's what truly matters. Jesus had a mission statement. And Jesus said this, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. This defined the life of Jesus. It was the baseline for his life. Last night, we saw a glimpse of this uh, with our men at the beast feast. And I, I, I don't know, we didn't talk as pastors this morning, but I was impressed with how our men, without the help of any of the pastors, put together an event where 30 men got to come and hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They had food there, and I mean, every the utensils were clean, amen, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, you don't know, right? And so we weren't out there using pitchforks to serve food or anything like that, but, but these men were fired up and concerned about their friends. I think one of the men that I talked to last night said he invited 40 men to come to this particular, 40, 40 men to come, and not all of them came. But, you know, you just keep working your field. You keep plowing your field. Forty men. 
And so we saw our men. And then last night when the event was over, they all just in unison began working together to clean up and set up. Hey, listen, teamwork makes the dream work. I know some of you are laughing because that's kind of cliche, but isn't that true? Four men, each one grabbing a side of that bed, lifting him up on the roof, pulling back the roof, setting him down right in the front of Jesus so that he could hear the gospel. So let me have you think about this. What drives you? What things spiritually has God put on your heart that you long to see come to fruition in your lifetime? Man, let me ask you something. Do you, do you dream for God? You just, do, you just, do you dream about that? Do you think about what it would look like for your family to know and love and follow Jesus? My wife and I went out on a walk last night after the, the Beast Feast, and we were talking. I said, I want to make sure that with our kids that we do well to protect them and to guide them and to build them up so that when their time comes to make the choice of them really following Jesus once they get out of the home, that they know that it's the right thing to do to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't, I don't want to be critical of the church, and I don't want to be critical of any of the pastors, and, because I'm going to tell you, if you criticize your pastors in front of your kids, or you criticize the church in front of your kids, don't be surprised when they turn 18, 19, and 20 years old if they never darken the door of a church ever again. Don't be surprised if they have issues with and problems with authority. Don't be surprised by that. Because all you've done for 18 or 20 years is evidenced in your life is that you can't follow authority in your own life, so now they're not going to follow authority in theirs. So I dream. I have a dream for my kids. And Brianna, this morning, uh, on the way to church, is like we're ta- she's 13, she's in eighth grade. She goes, I want to go to college, and I want to be in kids' ministry. Do you think you'll hire me one day? I said, I don't know if you'll pass the application process, but we'll see. I said, you know what, we'll have to pray about that and see where God leads, you know. But my kids are dream- they're dreaming. Now, will she do that? I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be the path that she takes. But, man, how cool and crazy would that be? I look at Mike and Sue and their kids and how they, they're growing up in the Lord and how Joe's in the ministry. And I, I'm going to tell you something as a parent. Hey, listen, wouldn't that be incredible if we raised up our kids and the first option for them was to spend their life serving Jesus? whether vocationally or bivocationally or being strong leaders in a, in a New Testament Bible-believing church. And if you've got grown kids, how about your grandkids? How about pouring into them and loving on them to such a degree that they see that it's awesome to serve and follow Jesus Christ? Do you have kingdom dreams? Do you, do you have people that you're just praying for right now that they might come to Christ? Or are all of your dreams tied to this life? And when was the last time that you stopped to think about all those dreams? These men had a mission, but they also had an eager expectation. In verses 18 through 20, we see that in verse 18, the Bible says, And these men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him in front of him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And verse 20 says this, And when he saw their faith, when he saw their faith, listen, these guys actually believed that Jesus could do something for this man. I don't know if they really believed he could heal him or if he could forgive him, but they figured all we need to do is get him in front of Jesus. We need to get him to Jesus. They all had faith. They had a a persisting faith. In fact, the Bible, when it describes their faith, the word that's used in this passage of Scripture, it's a 
it's a, uh, it's a persisting faith. It's a strong faith, an insistent faith. It's an overcoming all barriers type of faith. These men just believed that Christ could make the difference in this man's life. You know, our faith is in a risen Savior. Our faith is in a risen Savior. Our faith is in a risen Savior that has the power to save, the power to transform. We must live in light of that reality. I Listen, some of you are thinking too small. Some of you are just not believing God for what he can truly do in a person's life. Not believing God for what he can do in your life. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, Christ calls us to take risks for the kingdom. He calls us to step out in faith. Almost every message of the American culture says the opposite. Maximize your comfort and security now, and don't worry about heaven. These men believe that taking the risk was worth it. Some of us, we've lost our faith in knowing that Jesus can save and that he will save. He will bring others to himself, and he alone had the power to forgive. Numbers eleven twenty three says this, The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power, listen, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will not come true for you or not. Listen, do you have an eager expectation? Do you? Do you believe that God can do the impossible? Do you believe that God can heal your friend, that God can... God can save your friend, that God can save your husband, that God can bring your friend, your co-worker to Christ. He can, he can renew and restore the, the, the relationship that, that maybe they've messed up. Do you believe that? Because when we do, we are willing to do whatever it takes to get those folks an audience with Jesus Christ. But these men also had an obstacle in verse 19. They couldn't get in. There's no crowd. They couldn't get into Jesus. You know, and for many of us, I'll just I'll say it very simply. When we get to the point of obstacles, we tend to give up, do we not? Man, it's too hard. The culture's too strong. Man, when I, you know, there's just, there's just too much in the way. Listen, I believe this. I believe sometimes we look for the open door. The open door is the easy door. Well, if the door is open, I'll walk through it, and that's just evidence of God's will for my life. How many of you heard that phrasing before? Friends, I want to tell you sometimes. Sometimes the devil is on the other side of that door and you need to kick the door open and walk through in Jesus' name. Sometimes he's just on the other side of the door. And I'm going to tell you, I faced more opposition in the last 30 days since we started this series than I have in some time. And I know that's in part because I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. And you know what that is? Bring other people to Jesus Christ. We've seen several folks put their faith in Christ. Several folks say, hey, I'm ready to make a public profession of faith. And I'm going to tell you, The devil and all of his demons in hell is not rejoicing in the reality that people are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ here at Jackson Creek Fellowship Church. And so we've already talked about this, but these men had a strong faith. These men had a persistent and an insistent faith. How about you? What obstacles have derailed you from the mission? Let me ask you this morning, what what would it look like for you to dig a hole in the roof when things are easy. Listen, listen, when things are easy, you don't need faith. You don't need to believe God for the impossible. You don't, you don't need God to, to, to kind of show up in that situation because you've, you've got it. But if you really want to see God do the miraculous, if you want to see God do the supernatural, 
It's going to take faith in a risen Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. But these men got more than what they bargained for. I love this about Jesus, you know. You know, the fact of the matter is, man, I've had a storybook life in many ways. I mean, God has been so good to me. He gave me a a, a beautiful wife. I have two beautiful kids, and I have two healthy kids. And and my wife's grandfather used to say, the richest man in the world is the man that has his health, and he doesn't even know it. Amen? You know, so often we settle for the mundane. So often we settle for the lesser than. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, Jesus wants to do the, I I really, and I I don't want to sound spooky or, or weird, but I really think Jesus wants us to experience the miraculous in our life. I just, I believe that. I believe there's some folks in here today that they they could experience a a literal physical healing at the hands of a sovereign God who is the the great physician. I I believe there's some of you here today that, that you're on the precipice of God doing some great things in your life if you'll just take that next step of faith. If you'll by faith overcome the obstacles and you'll, 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 you'll come to Christ and you'll believe him. Because listen, when you do, he always goes beyond our expectations. In fact, in Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he, listen, he rewards those who seek him. And friends, I'm going to tell you, the rewards that God offers to those who seek him and do his will, they're not material in nature. They're not a bigger home or a pay raise or a a plush bank account. Listen, when you follow Jesus and you get in his presence and his presence and his power sets on your life and you know you're fulfilling the purpose and the design for which you were created, There is nothing in this life that compares to knowing that. Nothing. When you began to be a part of the Great Commission, and when you began to experience life transformation happening around you, and listen, through you for the glory of God and for the good of others, there's no job on this planet that will satisfy you like being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There'll be no vacation that you can experience that you'd be like, man, that was better than seeing someone come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's no meal you can eat. There's no dessert that you can taste. There's no sexual experience that you can have. There's no, there's no mixed drink that you could partake of that would, that would be superior in any way to doing God's will in your life. And when you do it, be prepared. Put your seatbelt on and buckle up because God will do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can imagine. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, I believe this, but God is just looking for people crazy enough to take him at his word. I believe that. I genuinely believe that to some degree that we are on the precipice as a church of seeing God do some supernatural things. I think we're on the precipice of seeing God do some uh, miraculous things in our church. I, I just, I'm believing God for that. And I'm asking you, and I know that our other pastors, John and Pastor Mike, and or Pastor John, Pastor Mike, and, and Pastor Ben, we're, we're together believing that God has some, some incredible things for us this fall and, and coming into next year. And we want you to be a part of that by 
finding out and listening to God on who's your one. Who is the one person that you could bring to Christ before the year is over? You know, in this culture, they often believe that physical maladies were the cause of sin. One commentator said that this man could have contracted syphilis, rendering him paralyzed through some sexual act. Self-righteous leaders weren't making room for a man who clearly in their mind didn't deserve to be in the presence of Jesus. These men were likely lowering their friend down just so that he could be forgiven of his sin. But look what happened. Jesus didn't just forgive him of his sin. Jesus told him to just go ahead and walk up on out of here. And I want to tell you something. We can have our best laid plans, and we tend to believe God and say, God, I I think you can do this, but I think we don't really want to ask God for what it is that we have desiring in our heart because we're afraid that he won't deliver. Because you know what we do? We tend to look at other folks and we'll say, well, you know, I look at Pastor Mike and he prays and I I could see God doing some things like that for Pastor Mike, but I just don't know if he could do that for me. I I see some other folks in the church and I see God working in their life and and I just, I I know me and I know my life and I know the the struggles that I have and, and I just, I don't see God showing up and doing that for me in my life. I don't know if God could save my husband. I don't know if God could save my wife. I don't know if God could save my kids. I got this coworker, and I'm telling you, they, boy, if there was a person that I ever thought should go to hell, it's them. And I, you know, I just, I wish they'd get saved, and I just don't think they ever will. And friends, I want to tell you something. God can save anybody. The Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation unto the Jew first and then unto the Greek. The only responsibility that you and I have is to open our mouth and tell them that Jesus saves. And so this morning, I want you to think for a minute. And I know some of us, we sit in this room today and we feel so unworthy to some degree of God's grace. And so because of our past and our guilt and our shame, we tend not to lean into God as Jeremiah says, call unto me and answer me and I'll show the great and mighty things that I I do not know. How many of you love to pray that prayer today? Amen? Amen? Come on. How many of you would like to see God do something so incredible it could not be explained by any human effort. Amen? In your life, in your family, and in this church, you'd be like, whoo, man, I'd love to be a part of some like supernatural stuff, right? But in our minds, we tend to think, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I I messed up this week, or I've messed up this, or I messed up that. Listen, Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And there is now no condemnation to those of you who are in Christ Jesus. And God wants to take your past and make it a platform of his grace so others can know about him. So this morning, I just simply want to compel you. I want to challenge you to consider, are you living on mission? And as we think about what these men did, I want you to consider this this morning. Do I have a heart that's full of faith? that will risk so that others can know forgiveness? And I want to ask you this morning, has your faith in a risen Savior motivated and compelled you to bring others to Jesus? Are you you so excited and so welled up with all that Jesus would save you that you can't wait to tell other people about him? Oh, man. And if you're not, like if you're sitting there today and there's a bit of complacency, 
Maybe there's some indifference in your life and you're just like, man, yeah, he saved me, so what? Maybe it's time that we got a fresh look at the cross this morning. Maybe it's time that we came back to Calvary and we just considered, you know, Jesus died for me. He became sin for me who knew no sin that I might become the righteousness of God in him. And maybe, just maybe this morning, we need to come and confess, most of all, our indifference to the gospel and to what God did in our life when we came to know him as our Savior.